Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome online to Grape Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. Um, we are continuing our series on easy mistakes. This has been um, a great series where we've been doing a person study of people in the Bible and seeing how we can learn from other people's mistakes so that we're not destined to just repeat them. And today we're going to be talking about Jonah. Jonah. And Jonah is, uh, I feel like funny enough, he's one of the most well-known people of the Bible simply because like, like it makes a fun kids church story like Jonah got swallowed by a big whale. And that's inadequate um, of a description because it says a big fish. That's, that could be anything. Um, so, and some of y'all might even be thinking that story alone is usually picked at as being, oh, well, see, the Bible's just fairy tales. Um, I think it was back in 2007, maybe earlier. Don't quote me on the exact year. There's actually a scuba diver that was swallowed by a huge whale. Um, I don't remember the exact whale. I think it was a sperm whale, but um, he was swallowed by a whale, and he was actually stuck inside that whale um, alive for seven days. Um, uh, he had his scuba gear on, so he was able to survive and stuff. But when they pulled him out, his um, his skin was all uh, uh, corroded and irritated from the stomach acids. And but he was uh, he was still okay. And so the reason I share that story is because um, we we write things off as just uh, impossibilities when more so it's improbable. It's not. A likely scenario but that's what makes it very unique it doesn't mean that some this could never happen um, and so just a little defense for you if uh, people ever come at your faith like it's just fairy tales who gets swallowed by a fish because um, I just imagine whoever is coming at your faith have be like a really big smoker like <laughs> have a raspy voice um, but for Jonah, we're going to look at some really unique things about his story. He's actually one of the few prophets that we see in complete rebellion to God, um, just really trying to not do what God has called him to do. And that's what makes him a peculiar person in Scripture. And I feel like most people don't even really know his story. Like, I feel like it until I read the Bible myself, I never really understood why he was in that fish in the first place. Um, Let's start off by talking about his first mistake that we can learn from, and that's a warped purpose perspective. A warped purpose perspective. In us, in the Christian world, we often um, are told God has a wonderful plan for your life, and so that's why you should uh, give your life to Christ, because he's going to do beautiful and wonderful things through you. And it's not necessarily biblical. It, it, it is in the extent that God cares about every detail of our life, but we shouldn't put our trust in God simply because we want him to make our lives substantially better. Um, that, that is a false narrative of the gospel. And for Jonah, he needed to learn that God's purpose for your life are, is typically meant to benefit others more than yourself. God's purpose for your life is typically meant to benefit others more than yourself. Let's look at the beginning story of Jonah. It says that the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. 
But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Then they cried out to the Lord. Uh, we're go kind of skipping a lot of the uh, couple verses going down to where all the sailors are figuring out what happened and they realize that Jonah was the cause of the storm. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So a powerful thing to learn, you know, as like extra credit lesson, is that even in Jonah's disobedience, he was used to bring people to God. So many times we think that everything is riding on us when we're actually trying to do God's will in our life and trying to do the right thing. And we feel like if we make the smallest mistake or if we're not good enough, then we're ruining everything. Here, it shows how great, how powerful God's grace is to where even in his rebellion, even in his clear disobedience to God, he was able, God was able to use that. It makes me think about like even uh, things like divorce and, and um, uh, um, pre-unplanned uh, pregnancy or teenage pregnancies. Those are things that the church has really demonized and and I, I remember being a youth pastor and um, whenever a teenage girl would tell us that she was pregnant we were like congratulations and they looked so confused <laughs> like why are you telling me that it's like that's an amazing gift it, it's gonna be you know hard and everything but you're gonna be able to do it and it's a beautiful thing and they would cry because they would tell us that we were the only ones that congratulated them we're the only ones that said that it was a good thing while everyone else showered them with disappointment and, you know, all this negativity. I mean, I thank God for divorce because I wouldn't be here if my dad didn't leave his first wife. <laughs> like, you know, God can turn any ugly situation into something beautiful. And we need to, to understand how God can use these things. So that's just extra credit for us. But going back to his warped purpose perspective, Jonah was called very specifically to go and do something, yet he intentionally did the opposite. He thought little of his possible impact and ran from the responsibility he was called to. I think that's one thing that we need to, to recognize, that we think that our impact is so minuscule sometimes. We, we think it's not really a big deal if we don't answer that inkling in our heart. You know, all those times where you felt like you should invite that random coworker to church, or you felt this uh, un, uh, uh, indescribable need to pray for someone, and you're like, that's weird. And you held back because you thought of yourself as insignificant. Well, I couldn't really, it's not like I would pray for them and something would happen. You know, you, we often think so little of our impact that we go the opposite direction in these little things. And... And yet we have this idea that, oh, well, I'll, I'll listen to God if it was really clear. You know, if we can't listen to, to the small things, how could we listen to the big things? 
I always think it's funny how we look at people of the Bible and like, idiots, why would they do that? Why would Adam eat from the, Adam and Eve, why would they do that? Uh, if it was us, we would have been bathing in apple juice, okay? We'd have been like slathering on applesauce, just like, oh yeah. We would not have made the right decision. Um, it, and it's, it's clear that we just really think little of ourselves, but we, we, at moments where we want things, we think we deserve it so much. But when it's actually called to do something responsible that benefits others, oh, well, I couldn't make an impact. How many times have you seen uh, those opportunities to, oh, for only um, $30 a month, you can supply the needs of a family in Africa? And you think, oh, well, I can't really do anything. And, and we just write ourselves off from actually making a difference because we think the impact is so insignificant. Yeah, it's turning some hearts here today, right? <laughs> At first glance, one could think about Jonah's story. It says that he got swallowed by a fish because he was running away from God. It's like, who is it that says that, uh, was Joel Olstein that says, God is a gentleman. He's not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. And here we see him sending this <laughs> terrible storm. <laughs> This terrible storm of fish to literally eat you and spit you out on the, where you're supposed to go. It says that this fish took him for three days journey and spat him on the beach of Nineveh. I mean, I don't want to go. Oh, you don't want to go. Okay. <laughs> no, God's a gentleman. He's not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. That's not really biblical, is it? <laughs> we, and at first glance... If you were to really examine this story, you, you could think to yourself, well, he shouldn't have had to do something that he didn't want to do. Right? Don't we think that a lot? Like, well, you know, you should, if you don't want to, just don't. It's okay. Especially if our, in our culture, it's like so, our culture has become uh, so progressive in church. It was like, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, just take a step back, go home, digress, and just, you know, you don't have to do it. Do we feel the same way about fathers that leave their kids? Oh, they, whoa, whoa, what happened? <laughs> now it's like, well, they need to pay some child support. Like, now, we, now, if we look at the right scope, we can see how important responsibility is, right? You just walk out on your kids, that's not okay. When we walk out on our calling that God has birthed in us, it's not okay. And if... If just in our world, it, our, our moral compass in our world is so messed up. And if in our world we can see them, we can all still grasp the moral compass of a father that leaves his kids still ought to pay child support. Like that, even if there's disagreements, there's, a, there's still a legal understanding that's like, that's what's going to happen. There's a thread that everyone's like, well, that makes sense. If we can understand that in our broken moral compass then we should be able to understand that this responsibility that was birthed inside of Jonah was not something he could just run away from. He had a responsibility and a duty to answer God's calling for him. And when God calls us to a task or a purpose or a calling, we are simply become responsible to this birthed purpose. And what we also realize later is that Jonah had a mistaken view of this entire purpose in general. This responsibility he was called to, 
he viewed his purpose as something that should benefit himself. We see later that the reason he didn't want to go is because after preaching to the whole nation, all of Nineveh repented with like great mourning. And, um, and when God said he was going to not pr uh, pronounce the judgment that he said he would do because of their repentance, he was going to instead give mercy and compassion. Jonah was pissed. He's like, I'm tired of preaching to people and then you not doing what I said, I, was, uh, I said would happen. I don't even want to live if what I said won't come true. Because the essence of what he viewed his calling as was for himself to be glorified, for him to be lift, lifted up, for him to be feared among the nations. Well, whenever Jonah says something, it happens. You don't want to get on his bad side. He had this view that his calling was for himself rather than for others. And I would still relate it to that of a parent. A, a, a parent's duty is for the kids, the benefit of the children, not for themselves. It is, and anyone that's been a parent or even just taking care of some kids, it's a sacrificial thing, okay? We had to leave Terry's last night. <laughs> we are at his amazing barbecue potluck. <laughs> Got all this beautiful food, and we were right about to eat. Now, and me and Lauren skipped lunch, so we were like, oh, yeah. I was salivating, just looking at it, and waiting for people to arrive. Like, maybe I should just go, like, test it out. And all of a sudden, my daughter just throws up for no reason. It's like, and we were still thinking, like, well, maybe we could salvage this. And we were, like, cleaning up the throw up. And all of a sudden, there's all this dripping on the floor, and we realized that she peed herself. Just, I guess, like, why not? <laughs> We're already this far. How much farther can we go? And it was just like, at that moment, the benefit for the kid was to just take them, take them home, let them rest, take them to bed. It was a sacrifice for us to have to leave. But it's like, that's even just one small instance, let alone all of a kid. Anyone that's been a parent is like, oh my gosh, like that's the smallest sacrifice in the world to what you have to really do. And it's just a constant benefiting of others than yourself. As a parent, you still have benefits. There's still uh, special moments that are indescribable that are good for you when you fulfill that responsibility that no one else can take away from you. It's only when you experience it yourself. It's the same way when you answer your, your calling or your purpose. There's just this special benefit that can't be compared to anything earthly. It's just a, a, a fulfillment that comes from answering your calling from answering your purpose. That only happens when you take hold of that responsibility. Y'all dig what I'm saying? So that brings us to our next point, which is a wrong people perspective. A wrong people perspective. You are not more deserving than someone else. Ouch, right? It took me a while to get this quote right. Because <laughs> I first came up with this one. I was like, that's kind of mean. Let me try to, a couple other ones around. And I shared it with Lawrence. I was like, that one feels spot on. <laughs> Let's look at Jonah. It says in chapter 3, as we, uh, we're at the place where he already got spat out on the beach. And, and right here is after all the people repented. And it says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? 
That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. I want to I, I want to backtrack for a second. Actually, before I do, so we see this moment where Jonah is like just super mad. He's upset with God, and it's so funny what he's like uh, calling God out for, because <laughs> what if you really think about it, merciful and compassionate. How far does that mercy go? How far does mercy of God and compassion go? Because when I think of the things that Jonah is mad at right now, it's actually very similar to, the, to some of the skepticism about God that is popular today. Well, why doesn't God put a stop to all this evil in the world? Why does he allow all this wickedness? If, if God is real, how come this happens and that happens? And it makes me just reflect on this point of mercy and compassion. How come when people say, if God is real, strike me with lightning right now? Because the Bible says that God doesn't take pleasure in even punishing the wicked. And it, it just really, I think, reveals that the heart of God is so genuinely merciful to his creation. We have all these accusations to throw at God. If God is so loving, how come he's sending people to hell? If The truth is, all of humanity is on their way to hell. We're on the way there because of our innate nature of sin, going all the way back in our DNA to Adam and Eve. So it's not that he's sending anyone there. It's where our judgment has already been led because of Adam and Eve and our DNA and sinfulness. But what he did to prevent it was make a way out through Jesus Christ. And all of the evil, when you think of like the, the people that you, you're like, oh, they should really get punished. Like when I think about um, like rapists, it's like child molesters. It, it's like, oh, let's kill them though. And to think that all unrepented, all unrepented evil in the world will have its day in judgment. And, and so it's like the very things that we accuse God of it's actually perfect justice when you think of it. There's real justice of God. But because we only look at the moment of right now, we, we don't take in how great God really is. And another thing about Jonah, notice that he is so critical of everyone else. Oh, they should, they should go to hell right now. You should punish, destroy this whole city. When he was directly disobedient to God, did you know that in James it says, even when we know what we ought to do, but don't do it, it is sin. So Jonah is a sinful man at this point because he just tried to rebel and disobey God's word. But when he was in the fish, it says, Jonah prayed to his God from inside the fish. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, O Lord, and you heard me. The whole, the whole three days that he was in the fish, all of chapter three is his prayer of crying out to God, begging for his mercy. Let me out of here. <laughs> like he, it, He's asking for God's mercy and compassion and all of that gets spat out. And now when God is going to show that same kind of mercy and compassion to others, he's like, oh my gosh, he would do this. <laughs> wow. 
See, he thinks that he is more deserving of that mercy than others. He thinks that he is more deserving of all the good things of God than others. And this view of others, I want us to just really take a moment to understand two things about this. Jonah was critical of others and their repentance and their lifestyles and their sin. Their sins are way worse than mine. I'm not as bad as those guys. See, that, that criticalness led him to view others as less deserving than himself. Have, have you ever been in a situation where someone else got like a new car or a new house or something just good happened to them? And you're like, wow, that's so great. And then in your head, you're like, that should have been me. <laughs> I deserve that. Why don't I have a new car? I'm driving this old beat up, blah, 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 this Ford POS. And you're just thinking all about what you deserve. See, those are little hints of the criticalness in our hearts, the pride in our hearts of, think, of thinking that other people are less deserving than us. I want to go even a step further. How many times did you go into a restaurant, workplace, you got bad customer service, and you wrote that, that bad waiter, waitress, person at the desk off, and you're like, well, they're just a loser anyway. You get mad, and so you, you say something critical to yourself about them. You get in the car like, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe she said that. And... And don't get me wrong, customer service is Lauren's pet peeve, okay? <laughs> People should be nice at work in their workplace, especially when you're paying money. To me, I just always think it's funny. Like, I'm giving you money to, like, like what more could I possibly do for you to like me? <laughs> but how many times do we quickly write people off in our, in our heads, in our thoughts, in our hearts? And we don't for a second think about what what may have possibly led in their day have you ever had a terrible day and you treat your kids the wrong way have you ever had a terrible day and you snapped at somebody that didn't even do anything and you realized later like you were just really tired or you were really upset uh, maybe you were hangry maybe maybe something genuine happened like what i used to do when i was younger lauren would get mad at me we'd get bad customer service at walmart i know rare occasion does walmart give bad customer service but we would leave and just like, I can't believe uh, how rude they were. And I would just play the devil's advocate, which is the most annoying thing for anyone to do, right? <laughs> Say, what if she was trying to get off of work to go see her mom in the hospital and so she was super irritated? <laughs> and Laura's like, are you serious? <laughs> are you serious right now? <laughs> but, you know, just imagine if that scenario was true, would you not have more compassion in the situation? Just like, well, I would be upset. But when we're in those moments, we treat everybody else as less deserving because it's all about me, all about I, what I need right now. But when other people go through it, well, it doesn't matter if you're having a bad day or not. You can't talk to me like that. We just do not measure up to the same standard we use for others. And when it comes to churchy Christianity, I don't know how many times I've felt so uncomfortable in church because my sin looked different than somebody else's. Going back to even like teenage pregnancies, I remember a specific moment, girl got pregnant and 
some somebody that uh, thought themselves as so much better start saying, I can't believe they did that. You know, you think you know somebody. And they're just like being all like real good church, you know, <laughs> like perfect church example. If you don't ever in church, you don't say anything to someone's face. You just talk about them behind their back. And as this person was saying nasty things like, hey, don't talk about her because her sin is obvious of what happened to her just because yours is so able to be hidden. Just because your sin is able to be kept in the dark and hers is now seen for everybody doesn't make her any less than you. And we judge so critically because we think we're better than others. At the end of the day, if we were to just write out, you know, you ever done a gratitude journal and you say to like write down all the things you're grateful for? Imagine if we did a sin journal, just the deep thoughts in our head. I thought about killing someone today, God. Like, why don't you try writing those down, read them back to yourself, and then feel the, the freedom to judge whoever you want. It's a lot different when we look in the mirror first. People, no one is, more, uh, is less deserving than you. The other thing that Jonah saw people as is expendable. Stepping stones for his glory. He was willing to let this whole city perish. And, and we'll see in a minute what God thought about this city. I mean, you're talking about thousands of people that he was willing to just see perish in order for him to be able to gloat, in order for him to be able to boast and feel better about himself. Because of all, whatever insecurities he has, he, he has to feed this ego and he steps on other people. What I found, the people that are the biggest bullies, the people that, that treat others less than are usually the most insecure people in the room. They have to make someone feel less than in order to make themselves feel better. And whenever we look at others as a means to an end, it's an ethical problem. It's a moral problem. We should never look at people as tools. Every person is valuable. Even when it comes to like a workplace or working on a team, when we just look at others as tools, as a means to an end, then it creates a toxic work environment. It creates a place that you dread going to. Church, when we treat others as means to an end, when, when we only talk to people in ways to make ourselves feel better, any of that, it creates a toxic place that you don't want to go to. Y'all dig what I'm saying? So let's go into this, this last point about Jonah. And that is, show me again. He needs God to show him again. Because what happens in chapter 4 is very peculiar. We often make the same mistakes multiple times and never learn our lesson. We often make the same mistakes multiple times and never learn our lesson. What was it last week that I mentioned that, that person that said, I just always date losers. <laughs> Same mistake multiple times. <laughs> you still haven't learned your lesson. I want us to look at Jonah in chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter because it's, it's relevant. 
This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that I would do, that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish, and I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love, and you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, and I would rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city, like as if he's going to pressure God to do it anyway. <laughs> and the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort. So he's all hot and bothered. We're seeing that now. He's still irritated. His skin is still sensitive from the, the stomach acid, so he's just bothered. And it shaded him from the sun, eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plants. But God also arranged for a worm. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there, and it came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry? For such a great city. This this moment is powerful because one, we see how how truly great God is. We see how truly compassionate God is. And to know that He not only cares about people, but even the way animals are treated. Like, God is so down to earth. I mean, I love puppies. They're so cute and cuddly. And to know that God loves all kinds of animals, even like ugly ones, that's great. <laughs> and even though Jonah had just had a near-death experience, which should have changed his life. I mean, there's people that have a near-death experience and they're completely different, right? It should have changed his life or at least taught him a valuable lesson. But he seems to have learned nothing and repeats the same kind of behavior like being in that fish, nearly dying, being you know scared for his life, did nothing. And he's still repeating the same kind of behavior and rebellion against God. Well, I'm going to sit here and tell you do what I want. The way he sees people, the way he sees his purpose. And in God's great mercy, he teaches Jonah a lesson again in a different method, through a different method. And it shows that God is so willing to reach us. When I look at my life and I think about all the horrible things that I did, I can look back and see moments where it seemed like God was trying to reach me, but I ignored it. Like I stifled it. These moments where it's like I can look back at his hand reaching out, but I wasn't ready. And to know that he tried multiple times in different ways to reach me, does that not show you God's heart? He's done it for you too. 
God is just so in love with you. He loves you and cares for you so much that even when we're just like buck wild crazy, he still reaches out. And we often come to God when we hit rock bottom. So many people go to God in prison. It's like got nowhere else to turn. They're desperate. And there's a lot of genuine converts that come out of, out of our prison system. Not saying like I'm promoting like, so go to jail. <laughs> I'm not promoting that our pr prison system is good or anything like that. I'm just trying to describe a rock bottom moment where people reach out to God because they're trying to learn a lesson. They're trying to have a change in their life. And how many times have we hit those rock bottom places and promised heaven and earth of change? I'll never do that again. From now on, I'll always do this. Blah, blah, blah. And we end up, as soon as we get comfortable again, we go back to the exact same behavior. The exact same things. And sometimes we do them even worse. We get even crazier. Or at least we'll get right up close to where we were. And we just, it's like we, we refuse to have a genuine change. And I, the reason of why could be many things. It could be as simple as old habits die hard. It could be as simple as it's what you know, it's what you're comfortable with. And I think a big one that is less talked about is that it boils down to a genuine trust in God being able to provide something better than the things that we go to that are unhealthy, toxic, or just plain out sinful or bad. We, we go to that same behavior, but God has something so much better. Even when you like take away the idea of just like, like sin, like I just imagine like this bucket of like green toxic slime. And I feel like that's the way we look at sins. Like, well, as long as I don't drink that, I'll be okay. But what about just what we talked about, about how we view others? That's something that we need to change in our hearts and church. And why is it that we view others as less deserving as ourselves? There's a, there's a lot of reasons. One of them is we, we feel like we have to take care of ourselves because no one else will. Maybe you were treated less than before and you never wanted to be treated less than again. So you, uh, you're always on the offensive. Whatever it is, I think it boils down to us having to take a moment to where we step back from ourselves and see how can I trust God in this? How can I trust God in the way that I treat others, in the way that I see my purpose? Because when we live reactively to life, where we just are waiting for things to happen and we react, we rarely experience true change. We rarely learn valuable lessons because we're just reacting. It's just like Jonah. He's just living like minute by minute. I'm going to just, uh, well, I don't want to do that. I'm going to just get on this random boat and sail to this random city. And, and he's just like doing things minute by minute, moment by moment. It's only when we determine to open our eyes and look intently on how we can learn and grow that we experience real change. We have to look intently at our lives, examine ourselves. Even as a pastor now, we, uh, me and my wife, we like to just go to like random 
churches on Saturdays sometimes just so that we can um, like partake in worship and like send our kids somewhere and, <laughs> and and like listen to someone else preach and send our kids somewhere and <laughs> but um, even when I go to other places I get so I'm like the worst person to sit at with church um, Lauren is like like always irritated with me because I'm just like a bad person to sit with I'm always like making these comments or like <laughs> like saying like saying a joke to everything um, being sarcastic and she's like can you just pay attention <laughs> and so I'll have to like literally just start journaling or sketching like while I'm listening because I guess I'm just ADD while sitting there <laughs> and so it really is valuable that you guys can sit and listen <laughs> but even even when we go to other places as a pastor I, I take a moment to look how can this apply to me and and so oftentimes church messages is like stop sinning <laughs> like Stop sitting. Stop having sex. That's all we can say at church. And what what after is that? What is there after? Like what what happens if you're actually living like your best life? You're really trying to do your best and forget the rest. And you're trying. There's not like um, these evil things you need to repent of. And you're at this moment of like, well, what's next? You know, there's when we stop and just genuinely meditate on God and think God. What is something you are calling me to either put down or take up? And, and it's, it's amazing how when we just ask God, he'll lead us to a better life like that. And it's not always this like rotten, moldy sin that we need to lay down. Sometimes it's just like things that have been distracting us. or some, Sometimes it's things that we have been depending on and God is take, wants to take us to a place where we can depend on him in that area. You know, there's so many different things where it's just God is constantly trying to lead us into a healthier uh, relationship with Him, a more intimate relationship with Him. And there's never a point where we just stop growing in God. So with all that being said, I want us to take a moment to resonate. Am I repeating the same mistakes over and over? Am I going through this cycle of this motions of doing the same thing getting the same results you know that's a albert einstein said that's the definition of insanity trying to do the same thing but accepting expecting different results can we learn something right now from god and what he's telling us and and let's truly look at what when it comes to god's calling it's not about what i want it's not about me 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 myself myself i god bless me bless me bless me it is truly God's purpose is often what we can do for others. And when it comes to viewing others, in order to fulfill our purpose, we have to realize that we are not more deserving than somebody else. When Jesus said that he is a servant to us, he's the son of God, king of kings, and he described himself as a servant, that, that he wanted to serve mankind, we ought to take that same example. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here right now listening to this and you just feel like God is pressing things on your heart, I want you to just have a moment and ask God, what are you telling me today? What are you trying to tell me today? And if you're here listening to this and you feel like the biggest thing God is showing you is that 
that simple relationship with Jesus Christ is something that you need and you know that you don't have right now. Whether you've never had that kind of relationship with God before or whether you once did and you realize you need to go back to that, if you're here right now and you feel like that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. I see your hand. So right where you're at, I want you to just have a decision moment with God. I want you to just talk to him in your own words. The Bible says in Romans, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, died on the cross and rose from the dead, surely you shall be saved. And that, that verse is literally just saying, if you talk to Jesus and acknowledge the, the, the mercy he has offered to you, to the world, and are authentic about it, surely you shall be saved. And repentance, all it means is to change direction. It's not a dirty word that is, is scary. It literally means change direction. And so many times we think that if we don't have a 100% change right now, then we're not good enough. All it really is, is changing direction in our life to try to walk towards God. That journey looks different for every single person. And so as you're making that conversation right now, just talk to God to yourself and have that decision moment where you say, today is the day. Let today be the change of my life. Let today be a day where I walk towards you, Jesus. And now if you're here and these other points were just hitting home for you, the way that you see your purpose, the way that you see people, and you want to just have a change in your heart on how you see those things. You feel like the Holy Spirit was just ministering to you about that. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just confirm what you are saying. I pray for your presence in this room and I pray for your peace to impact every heart here. And I pray just a genuine a genuine exchange of your spirit with each of these people. And I pray that you'd solidify what you started in their lives and that you'd finish it. I pray, God, that you would give direction and guidance in this moment and that you'd make things clear to people, that there wouldn't be anything confusing or foggy, but that it would just be abundantly clear in this moment of what you're saying to them. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the same kind of um, moment of like reverence, I want us to, we're going to transition into worship. But before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part online. We love you. Have a good life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.